God, we stand here in this dark room having just sung a powerful song. It's a song of surrender. We talk about that around here at this church all the time, that it begins with surrender. This, this life with you is contingent on, dependent on us getting low, us decreasing so that you might increase. And so I don't know where we've come from today. I don't know who's here. We're all uh, unique. You know each one of us. You've numbered the hairs on our heads. You love us intensely. You, you dance over us, your scripture tells us. And we're here this morning, and I don't know uh, what we've come in here with. If there's uh, rejoicing and celebration in our hearts, or if there's um, pain and sorrow. Uh, regardless, God, of our circumstances, uh, we want to take this moment, if we haven't yet, to submit ourselves to you, to surrender uh, this time to you, and to ask you to speak to us as we open your word. Uh, but beyond this time, to surrender our lives to you, take us deeper in what it is uh, to know you fully and to uh, follow you with abandon. Uh, God, thanks for this offering we're going to take now. And, and uh, we say this every week, but we recognize that everything we have comes from you. And so this portion of what we have is yours already. We pray that you'd use it to glorify yourself through us and through the ministries of this church. We pray, God, that uh, you would have your way in our minds and in our hearts and that you would change how we live as a result of us interacting with you and your word now. Get me out of the way. Uh, speak in my place. As always, God, you have things to say I don't. Uh, so use this time in our lives for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Have a seat. How's everybody doing? It is great to see you. If you have your Bibles, you can open them to Matthew chapter 5. Someone else put their faith in Jesus Christ here at our church this past week. I celebrate that with you if you're visiting. Hi, my name's Mark. How are you? Oh, a couple of you are fine. That's good, at least. Uh, it's great to be here with you as we start a new series. We're calling it Fixer Upper. I'd like to thank HGTV and Chip and Joanna Gaines for that uh, great name, and then also Home Depot for their colors and their tagline. Uh, we're, we're calling this a series about how God can do it and we can help. You know, that's, that's, that's the life that I'm hopefully teaching you as I preach every week up here is that uh, life was never meant to be done on your own. It was never meant to be this self-made thing that uh, we talk so much about in our culture. It's, it's actually been given to us by a God who created us for himself, and his desire is to live our lives for us, through us, to guide us in our decisions, every one of them, and especially in the things that matter most, like our families. How's your family doing? Mixed bag? You like some of them? Sometimes you don't like others. Yeah, uh, families are kind of Dow, jo Dow Joneses. They're ups and downs. There's goods and bads. There's uh, better days and, and not so better days. Uh, family, though, is, is un unequivocally God's idea. There's no argument about that. God created the family. It was his idea. It's the building blocks of society. And when it came time to create humanity, God uh, tells us in his, his word that Genesis chapter one, he, he made man in his own image. And man hung out for a little while. Remember, he named a lot of the animals and had that experience with God the Father. But then God, uh, who is three in one, Father, Son, and Spirit, got together and said, hey, let's, let's, uh, let's, let's make sure that 
this one thing that isn't good in creation, the fact that this man is what? Alone. Let's make sure that we solve that. And so from man, he creates woman. And he creates the first marriage. And he tells that first married couple, Adam and Eve, hey, here's the deal. I want you to make more of you. Go forth and multiply. Genesis 1.28. Make lots of you who are going to make lots more of you who are going to make lots more of you. And seven billion us later, here we are, right? That was his plan, to have a creature in his own image who would bring glory to him. And there'd be lots of them who would honor him and glorify him with their lives. Uh, But he put something else in our code. He gave us choice. He gave us the opportunity to opt for him or against him. And if you're familiar with the Bible story in Genesis chapter 3, that first couple says no to God and yes to themselves. Sin comes into the world, and sin makes a mess of our lives personally, and it makes a mess of every family that has existed since. As we go through this series, talking about the family, we're going to understand uh, each week that we gather together that sin makes every home a fixer-upper. It's a wrecking ball. It just comes in, uh, sometimes in little ways, sometimes in big ways. But it just seeks to destroy. That's what sin is. It's, it's the destruction of all that God intended for good and for his glory. It's uh, us choosing not him, not his path, and choosing our own ways. I'm, I'm amazed at how uh, so often in probably my life and certainly in the lives of other people that I've counseled with and talked to, we treat complete strangers better than we treat the people in our family sometimes. You ever notice that? Like you'll be cordial and courteous to someone in line at the bank in the grocery store, someone you meet at church. How you doing, brother? Too blessed to be, you know, all those maxims, right? We'll smile big, put on the, uh, the show that everything's fine, and then we'll get in our cars, and we'll unload on our spouse. We'll destroy the spirit of our children. And Katie barred the door when we get home. I just don't even, there's, you know, we just don't even know what's going to happen behind those doors. the product of sin and the families that God has given us. It's been the, the product ever since. Keep reading in Genesis. Adam and Eve had their stuff. Remember <laughs> Adam's first play when uh, sin came into the world? God said, hey, why'd you sin? What did he do? He pointed at his wife. Think dudes have been playing that card for a while now? Why is everything wrong in your house? Wives are good at it too. You go on in the story of the first family, the first two uh, kids are, that we know of are Cain and Abel. There was probably other children of Adam and Eve, but Cain and Abel, that wasn't so great. The first murder was between brothers. You keep going and you get characters in Genesis like Abraham and Sarah. You get uh, Jacob and Esau, their grandkids, uh, and the rivalry that was between them. You get... Uh, a little bit later in the book of Genesis, a guy named Joseph, and uh, we studied just a little bit while ago uh, what happened between him and his brothers, right? And if it weren't for families, there might be some better stories in the Bible. But families from the beginning were set at odds against each other because of sin. These days, sin hits families in all kinds of ways. Spouses leave, kids rebel, Parents abuse, it's mess after mess after mess. Sometimes 
Uh, I'll be frank with you as a pastor, I, I feel a little overwhelmed in trying to help the families that come to me. Uh, it just seems like it's unrelenting, the spiritual oppression, uh, the, the sinful issues that arise in marriages and in family relationships. Uh, that's why I cling to this truth. I try to always remember that. Even though sin makes every home a fixer-upper, Jesus is the restorer of all things, including families. Jesus got a tool belt. And he comes into that wrecked relationship that you have with your kid or with your parent. He comes into that divided marriage. He gets out his measuring tape and he starts figuring out ways that we can make this better. He's not going to just do it, though. You have to dial him up, enlist his services, uh, submit to what he says needs to be done. He, uh, his desire, though, is to, is to make broken things whole. That's the message of Scripture. In fact, if you, if you don't come here again on, uh, on, a, on a Sunday, I pray you do, please come back. Will you please come back? Is anybody going to come back? Okay, some of you will. Thank you. You will. Great. Good to have you. Okay. But if you don't come back and you don't ever hear me say anything again, understand, if I had to sum up the message of Scripture, it's this. God made us, we blew it, and the rest of history is God's plan of restoring us to himself. That's it. That's the gospel. You wonder about the whole cross and Jesus thing? Here's the deal. You and I, separated from God by our sin, destroying the lives that he's given us for his glory. He loves us too much, so much, that he will not allow us to stay there. He won't force us, but he will provide for us. Through Christ, initially, and through salvation and forgiveness of our sins, a chance to be reconnected to him. But perpetually, as we're going to see today, he wants to come into our life situations, into what's going on in our homes, and in those areas, in those circumstances, redeem, restore, replenish, remake what's been broken inside of us. That's the message of Scripture. We can go lots of different ways, get focused on lots of rules and, and, and legalities and stuff like that, but the ultimate story is grace upon grace and God's rejoicing, his, his joy in restoring his creation, us, to himself. He says as much through his son Jesus in Luke chapter 4. Jesus is hanging out in his hometown. He's He's a guest speaker at the synagogue that morning. He's come to the place where he probably went to church growing up. He's handed, as was part of the Jewish worship tradition, a scroll. He was going to read from the prophets, and he chooses Isaiah to read here in his home church, home synagogue. And he says the scroll of the prophet was given to him in Luke 4, and he unrolled the scroll, and he found the place where it was written here in Isaiah, these words. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's, that's all he read. The scripture goes on to tell us he sat back down, which is how teachers taught back then. Maybe I'll try it sometime. That'd be way more relaxing for me. But they would sit kind of in a big round and they'd just talk. There were smaller congregations and uh, he could be heard, he'd sit in the front row and, and there'd be a couple stacks of, uh, or a couple levels of people surrounding him and he just started talking and this is all he said. He says, hey, what I just, I'm paraphrasing, but he said, hey, what I just read to you, 
It's here. And no one misunderstood him. This was a messianic prophecy. It was said that the the Messiah would come and he would be the liberator of Israel. And, And he said there in his hometown, hey, Joseph's son, the carpenter in turn, he's the Messiah. I'm the Messiah, Jesus says. People scoffed. It got worse than that. But then you go on, you read the rest of the Gospels, that's exactly what he came to do. He came to bring good news to the poor. You ever been in your house and felt kind of impoverished by the relationships that you got going there? Things, you know, just aren't very rich in my home right now. He came to bring you in those situations good news. He came uh, to proclaim liberty to the captives. Ever been in a marriage that felt like prison? Jesus came and is coming to set you free, if we'll allow him. He came to give recovery of sight to the blind. I can't tell you how many times as a parent I was doing this. (laughs) I don't know what to do in this one, Lord. I mean, I thought it would get easier. Some of you are just starting. My, my, My youngest just turned 20 a couple weeks ago, okay? I should be on the back end of this deal. It should be getting easier. I got, some, I got some skins on the wall. I got some experience under my belt, right? But they just keep coming up with stuff, these kids. <laughs> and I just, you know, I look at Eleanor and she looks at me and we pray and, and we're like, Lord, 20 years. 22 with the first one. Jesus came to give sight in those situations where you just don't see how this is going to work out. Jesus came to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Like I said earlier, I'm I'm just dumbfounded by how much the family can be a place of oppression. How in every other arena of life, we're fine, cordial. We get home and the mask comes off, the defenses come down, and we are who we really are, and it's not pretty. Jesus spoke to these same kinds of ideas when he talked in Matthew chapter 11 about his followers coming to him. He says this to them. He says, count to me all who labor and are heavy laden. It's almost like he's saying, hey, spouses, hey, parents, hey, kids who are putting up with what's going on in your homes, come to me. Y'all come. All of you are laboring out there in your family, all those who are burdened by what's going on at your house. He says, I'll give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you. This is a, uh, oxen talk. Back then, if you wanted a tractor at your house, you had to get a couple huge animals and kind of handcuff their heads together. It was called a yoke. And uh, it became a, a, a metaphor, a symbol of what a rabbi would would do in teaching, a, a rabbi's a teacher, what he would do in teaching his, his disciples or his pupils, he'd say, okay, you're gonna get handcuffed to me and my thinking and my ways, and we're gonna walk through life according to what I say and to what I teach. That was the yoke. You would take the teachings of your rabbi. He says, take my yoke upon you and, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly, lowly in heart. I'm gonna teach you how to be gentle. I'm gonna teach you how to be humble. As I am, you will be, and it'll make a difference in your lives. He says, you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke 
is easy and my burden is light. That, that first line of that last sentence has always kind of confounded me. I, I find a lot of times that Jesus' yoke or me taking it on myself is not easy. Is anybody with me on that? I don't want that yoke. I want to, I wanna, you know, take the ball and bull my way through the line of whatever it is that I'm facing. I'm great at self-assuredness and self, um, you know, doingness. <laughs> it's the whole surrender, like we sang just before we get up here. That's hard for me. He's not saying it's going to be easy to take my yoke, but it says, he says this, once you do, though, you're going to find it's a lot easier to breathe. You're going to find that the burdens of your life, they may not go away. Don't, don't read Jesus saying there, I'll solve every one of your problems. Everything will be gone. That's not his guarantee. But he says, listen, in the midst of what you face, it won't feel as heavy. It won't seem as hard. Uh, that's what I hopefully am preaching to you every week, but this, this series is going to be about preaching that in, in reference to our families. And, and listen, some of you got different families. There's all kinds of families. There's uh, 16 million single moms in America now. Uh, there's blended families. Everybody went all Brady Bunch up in America, right, and <laughs> smashed a couple families together. And, and listen, that, however you got to wherever you are in your family, if you're older and your kids are gone and, 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 and this doesn't seem like it's going to relate to you, or, or if you're single and you don't have family living with you except the ones that you have to visit on Christmas and, and Thanksgiving, you know what I'm talking about? Uh, there's something to learn in the verses that we're going to be studying through this series for all of us, not just in our family relationships. I'll expand it to all of our relationships. Sin makes a mess of every relationship, and Jesus wants to restore them if we'll heed his words and follow them. So let's go to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 is the beginning of what's called the Sermon on the Mountain Scripture. It's one of the most dense, or it is the densest groupings or grouping of Jesus' teaching in all of Scripture. It's the most red letters, letters you'll find in your Bibles in a row. Whenever you see red letters in the Bible, that's Jesus talking. And so these three chapters are, are, are the longest run of him speaking in one time in any other part of the Gospels. And so uh, it's, it's, it's just amazing. In fact, I would encourage you, while we're going through this series the next five or six weeks, read the whole Sermon on the Mount, like multiple times. Because essentially, it's a summary of Jesus' teachings. It doesn't include everything that he says throughout the rest of the Gospels, but he hits the highlights of what he's about in the Sermon on the Mount uh, as he goes through these three chapters. He opens with a section in the first 10 verses, 11 verses, that's been come to know, uh, become, to known, uh, become known as, slow down, Mark, you're excited. It's become known as the Beatitudes. Everybody say Beatitudes. Beatitudes. Anybody heard that word before in church? He comes from the Latin word beatus or beatus. Uh, beatus means blessing in Latin. And it's fitting that it's called the Beatitudes because it's nine times that a verse starts in these 11 verses with the word blessed. We're going to talk about what that word means in a little bit. But in these nine blessings, you're going to see a summation, a condensation of how Jesus wants life to live. You're going to see a, a summary of, of who he is and how he lives his life. His life, he, as you take his yoke upon you, this is how you're going to end up looking. And if we're serious and we, we surrender in these areas and we, we understand and submit that this is the way that life is supposed to be, living or be lived, we're going to see it impact our marriages, our parenting, our childing. It's going to make a difference in our homes. 
Today, as we start, we're going to see uh, if, uh, if Jesus is to restore our families, he needs to restore us first. If Jesus is going to restore our families, he needs to restore us first. I use this illustration all the time, but if you're going to help the people around you in life, if you're going to have a better uh, thing at home, you've got to fix what's wrong in you first. You've got to deal with you first. We're great at going, it's this thing, and it's him, and if he would just, and if she would just, we're great at pointing. But the Bible doesn't tell you to point. It says things like, hey, man, get the speck out of your eye, or excuse me, the log out of your eye before you go after the speck in theirs, right? It's all about Looking in the mirror and see what's going on here. You've got to fix you first. If the, if the oxygen masks come down in, in an airplane a decompression situation, what are you supposed to do for your family members? As a parent, you put what on first? Yours first. Put yours on first so that you can be a help to the other people who are passing out because there's no oxygen, right? You're no good to anybody if you're passed out too. So Jesus starts this list. And it's all about us and what we need to be doing, but he starts this list with us being right in, in, our, in ourselves, in our souls, and squared up in our relationships with him. If Jesus is to restore our families, he needs to restore us first. It says in verse one, seeing the crowds, uh, he went up on the mountain. Sermon on the Mount, there you go. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. Don't think the 12, there's more than 12 at this point. He's, he's called 12 to himself, but disciples in the scriptures doesn't always just limit itself to the 12. Uh, disciples are just followers, and so many people were sitting. In fact, that's probably why he went up on a mountain. He needed like a perch where he could kind of speak into a valley or a bowl of some kind, and lots of people could gather and hear his voice uh, amplified in a situation like that. So uh, he opens his mouth, and he taught them, and he starts with these blessings, these beatitudes. Uh, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And the second one, if we get to it today, is blessed are those who mourn for they shall be condemned. We're going to learn these together. In the end of this uh, the series, you're going to be able to say all of these verses. Yeah, you're going to learn them, Don. You're standing up. You're my, you want to come up and help me? Oh, what did I say? <laughs> Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be... What did I say? Well, that too. All right, anyway. Uh, I'm, I'm amped up this morning. I've got to calm down. Everybody stand up with me. We're going to do some uh, scripture aerobics here. We're going to learn some, le- some verses. We haven't done this for a while. It's time. It's been it's an overdue. So, so I'm going to teach. You're going to, you're going to learn these verses with me through this series, and, and you're going to learn these motions so that if you wanted to show off at work or at school or whatever, you could be like, hey, you want to see some verses I learned? And you just go through these motions. You'll remember all of it. It's going to be awesome. So we're going to find out in just a second that the word blessed means approved. So everybody take your thumb, put it up like this. Blessed. Everybody say blessed. We're doing verse 3. I hope you're there with me. Blessed are the, everybody take a circle and put it on your eyes, say poor. Blessed are the poor. That means you got nothing. Everybody see the nothing in your hand right now? Okay, so it starts out with what? Blessed are the in, bake the bird. Here we go. The spirit descended like a dove. Yeah, that's right. That's the best I can do. Okay. Blessed are the in, for theirs is the, take your fingers, make a crown, the kingdom, right? Of what? Heaven. And you got to smile when you say heaven because it's a good spot, right? (laughs) Everybody got that? Think you can do it? Take the verse off the screen. They don't need it. Here we go. Blessed are the in, for theirs is the kingdom. Good. And then the second one is like it. You ready? Some of you haven't been here before. Okay. 
The second one's like it. Blessed are those who mourn. <laughs> One more time. Blessed are those for they, okay, and this is where it gets kind of interactive. You can either hug somebody or hug yourself, for they shall be comforted. Hug somebody or hug yourself. Do it one more time, that fourth verse. What is it? Blessed. Are those who? For they shall be or condemned, whichever you prefer. <laughs> From the beginning, both verses. Are you ready? You're memorizing scripture, people. This is a good day at church. What's the first one? are the in for theirs is the of and then are those who for they shall be nice have a seat the question we want to answer today from these verses is what must I do to personally be restored to Jesus Jesus answers those, or that question with these two verses. The first verse is going to teach us that we must admit our limitations and accept God's help. Blessed. Let's talk about that word. It's a word that sometimes in certain translations is translated happy, and certainly happiness can be the result of being blessed. We say that to people, well, bless your heart. God bless you. We're not like saying have a rotten day. We're saying, you know, hope it's a good day. Happiness is associated with blessing. It's one of the ways you could translate it, but I don't think it's the right way, at least not in the context of what Jesus is saying here. It's that whole idea of approval. It's that, it's that thumb emoji. Anybody know about that thumb emoji? I love that there's phones now where you don't have to talk or, or actually type. Like if someone sends you a text now, you can just go to the emoji section and send them a thumb. Yep, I'm in. I am, I am all about the pictures. Uh, but this, this is what blessed means. That's why we used it as we said the verses. Approved. This is the God-approved life. This is what he expected. It's the rails he meant for this car to ride on. Uh, it's, it's the water that he meant us fish to swim in. If we get outside of these things, off the rails, out of the water if we're fish, things are going to go really wrong. It, it's the factory specs of the alignment of the life that he created. I got a lifetime alignment on one of my cars. It's awesome. If I uh, feel like I'm just tilting a little bit to the left or the right, I go to Firestone and they pop it back up on the, on the, on the trusses or whatever that thing is. The truss is not it at all. But on that lift, and, and, uh, and they got this computer that basically knows my car and the specs that my car struts and axles, and I'm not mechanical, but uh, they know what it's supposed to be, and then, and then just goes zit, 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 and then my car goes straight again. And hopefully that's what happens every time you come to church, is that you put your life up on the, on the lift and, and you open God's word with me and, zit, 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 and, and things get heading to where they're supposed to go. It's, it's how, how the Bible is written. It's, it's meant to set us in this approved path, this blessed path. This first blessing says, blessed are the what? In, yeah. Confusing for some, if you're new to the Bible, you might be like, what's that mean? It doesn't seem like a blessed thing at all to be poor. I'm trying not to be poor up in here. I'm trying to get paid. Well, the second part of that uh, phrase, poor in spirit, should be a clue to you. He's not talking about poor in money. Other verses talk about that. We'll preach that some other day. What he's talking about is that, you know, the life that I approve of, the best life that you can live is one where you live 
in spiritual poverty. That word poor, there's a, a, a patakos, and it basically means, uh, well, you're a beggar. And not the kind of beggars that we sometimes see, and I'm not down on people who are homeless around here, but there's lots of folks who are legitimately down on their luck. My wife works at an organization called ECHO. We have Women's Resource Center here on our campus. There's lots of agencies that are trying to help people who are behind or unable to provide themselves get what they need. But then there's lots of people who just like camping. You know, and and they make enough to get their their drink on, you know, by flying a sign on the road. I'm not being cynical, I'm just saying... In America, it's really hard to be destitute poor. We've got agencies and places where you can get help. But in the ancient world, when they use this word patakos to talk about the poor, they were talking about no hope unless somebody provides for them. There's no government agency to back them up. There's probably not any family life expectancy back then. was not a high, high number. They were probably alone in the world and without hope. That's the word that Jesus says is the blessed way of life, to be impoverished, poor spiritually. What does he mean? He means understand that in this life, God made you to work with him. In fact, God made you so that he could work and do life through you. And any other kind of life is insufficient for reconciling yourself to God initially or for you to having success in life and honoring God perpetually. It's just not going to work. I mean, think about it. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, we had a young lady last night. We'll put a rose up for her next week. But she came after we got done you know, preaching last night, and she, uh, heartfelt, sobbing, gave her life to Jesus Christ. It was beautiful. But I got to preach to her or say to her again, hey, remember what I just said in, this, in the message? Here's the deal. What you're admitting right now is that spiritually you can't help yourself. Spiritually you can't get anything done. When you come to the table, this negotiation table with God, in reconciling yourself back to him. You can't bring any of your works and hope that it's going to like somehow barter your peace with him. Because there's nothing in you or of you that will ever attain the righteousness of God. He has to do it for you. And so your sole purpose, your sole uh, mission in this life in reconciliation with God is, is, is to just admit, I can't do it. And to accept what only he can do for you. We get that twisted all the time. It keeps people from the, the kingdom because they say, I'm a pretty good person. And they create this spiritual economy of their own thinking and it's just not how it's set up. It's not how it's going to work. They're going to get to the kingdom, you know, die one day, uh, stand before God, and, and they're going to rattle off all of the clubs that they were, you know, a part of and the ways that they helped out. And I did feed the bay twice, not once, twice. And they're going to expect God to be like, oh, cool, Awesome. And those are great things, don't get me wrong, but they don't save. It's by grace, through faith, that we are saved. It's not about our works. And and listen, take it to your homes. Here's what happens, like I said before. People get into marriages, you know, they stand at an altar before God and man and make covenants between God and themselves, and, and then they go home and do it themselves. They leave God completely out of their marriages. They consult their friends, their, their divorced friends. That's my favorite. Go to, go to a divorced person for marriage advice. Way to go. No offense to divorced people out here at all. Don't, I'm not doubting anybody. I hope you hear me say that. But, but let's not look to each other. Let not the unwise go to the unwise for wisdom. Are you with me? Let's go to the one who designed this stuff. Let's surrender to him. Let's submit to him. Let's figure out what he has to say. His plan might be better. 
Hope that didn't sound judgmental, but I'm just, you hear what I'm saying? People uh, have wrestled with this from the beginning. Jesus wrote a bunch of letters in the book of Revelation to churches, seven of them in all. And uh, in one of them, he wrote to a place called Laodicea. And he says in Revelation 3, 14, or 15, to this, this group of people in Laodicea, who, by the way, at some point had come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. They had received him. They had submitted to him, surrendered to him, understood they couldn't do it on themselves. But then, after a while, apparently, which I'm so glad doesn't happen in American churches ever, but after a while here in this place, they got to thinking, well, maybe I got this down. Maybe I don't need God as much. Maybe I can handle life on my own. And so Jesus writes them this letter. Dear Laodicea, I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. And you got to know a little bit about their culture uh, to understand that they had this pipe that came down from a, a place where the water was really clean and cold, but over the journey from, from this aqueduct from where the water was clean to where it ended up, it, it got kind of messed up, and certainly it cooled off. And so Jesus is just talking about uh, drinks and what's, what's refreshing. Is, is anybody like, like something that Starbucks totally blew this for us, but there used to be this thing that called, there wasn't any cold coffee, right? Everybody had their coffee hot. Anybody like their coffee hot? Okay, when it gets kind of tepid, you want to drink it anymore? It's not refreshing after, after that, right? It goes in the sink. Anybody like your cold drinks cold? Who likes ice in their drinks? I never get, just so you know, I never get ice in their drinks. It takes up too much room. I want my money worth. Keep the ice. It's coming out cold. I'm going to drink it before it gets warm. Just keep the ice. But some of you, like I'll, I'll go out with people, and they'll just fill up their cup over and over and over again with ice. Like they like it to the top because they want their face to fall off from numbness or something. Because <laughs> that's what's refreshing to them. And so all, all Jesus is saying to these guys, you're neither hot nor cold. You're, his point, you're not refreshing. Translation, there's, there's really nothing good about you. Would that you were either cold or hot. Would that you would refresh me when I looked at you. When I test, tasted of who you were. He says in verse 16, so because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, guess what? I'm spitting you out of my mouth. That's what we do with things that don't taste good. I was with my son Cooper uh, uh, at a work site just recently. We were tearing apart uh, a house. That, it's a long story. Uh, but uh, there was an old water heater uh, that we had to cut off from the main water supply and just throw out in the backyard. And there was still water in the water heater. And it was getting hot uh, as we were working along. And uh, I don't know if he didn't know that we had uh, water bottles or something like that, but Cooper got thirsty. He's not been on a whole lot of work sites. So he goes up to the tap on this water heater, and I'm watching it happen from the ladder that I'm smacking this house with. And he puts his hands under and he... The water that was in the water heater. Right? I'm like, dude, you're going to die right now. I mean, we got to call 911 like in preparation for what's about to happen to you. I don't know how long that water's been sitting in there. This is how, it's like a 50-year-old house. <laughs> He's okay. But I said, Coop, you got to promise me never to drink from something like, if there's an old appliance, don't drink the water that's in it. Would you, would you promise me that? Yeah, sure. But he, he took a little bit. Anybody want to guess what happened? <laughs> Yeah, because it wasn't good. That's what Jesus says to these guys. You're like water in an old water heater. I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. And here's why. He hasn't told us why yet. We know that they're, they're tepid, they're lukewarm, they're not refreshing in any way. 
But he says, here's why. Because you say that you're rich. Paul in his writing says, one of our biggest mistakes is to think that we're something when we're nothing. He says, you guys think you got this. You, you think you got it figured out. You think you're rich, that you've prospered. And, and materially, certainly the Laodiceans had. It was kind of a, an epicenter of commerce there in that region. Uh, they had all kinds of businesses that uh, banking was a center, centered there. And, and, and they had, uh, if you can believe it, pharmaceutical companies like the ancient kind. Uh, they would make uh, salves for eye, eye ailments and stuff like that. Uh, archaeologically, this has all been proven. Uh, but, but they had basically gotten comfortable kind of like the American church. Got all these conveniences. We've got more computing power in our pockets than was available in 1960 anywhere, right? We've got, not all of us, but, but compared to the rest of the world, we've got money. We're, we're doing okay. And here's what okay brings uh, to humans. It brings complacency. It brings this Self-sufficiency, and with self-sufficiency comes entitlement. I deserve. Uh, take I deserve to the relationships in your home. How's that going to work? I demand. I deserve. This marriage would just be fine if you would. You picking up any themes? I contrast that with a, a family where the parents are submitted to Christ and humbly parent their children as an act of service to Christ, where husbands and wives are submitted to Christ and understand that they deserve nothing, and they, they come as servants to each other in their marriages. This is what Jesus is talking about when he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. This is what Jesus is talking about when he's talking to these guys here in Laodicea. He's like, guys, you think you're rich, you think you're, you're prosperous, but you, that you need nothing, but you don't realize that you are wretched pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. It's like, whoa, Jesus, we had you at wretched, right? I mean, I mean, he, he, but he piles on. He, he, he's, he's adding synonyms for emphasis. He's like, you guys, you are hot messes still. And if you get off the rails, if, if you leave the water as a fish, you're going you're gonna to die, and that's what's happening. It's a slow, unseen death, a cancerous death. But sin is making you numb to me, and it's going to be your undoing. Oh, let us never believe that we've ever, ever ascended to some level where we don't need Jesus. He says to them in verse 18, he says, I counsel you. Here's my advice. Come back to me. Buy from me the gold that's refined by fire. Not the gold that you can get down you know, Main Street. Come to me. Get my truth. Get my ways. Allow yourself to be refined by fire. Get rid of all this stuff that's weighing you down that makes you feel like you're self-sufficient and entitled. He says, do this so that you may be truly rich. Do this so that uh, white garments, uh, put these on you so that you may clothe yourself and, and, and the shame of your nakedness may, may not be seen. Don't be just counting on your own strength, your own clothing, as it were, to provide for your needs in life. Come to me. Let me clothe you. Let me gird you. Let me prepare you for what you're going to face. And he says this, and he goes right to their pharmaceutical companies. All the Laodiceans would have been like, whoa. He says, let me give you a salve, an ointment for your eyes, 
so that in, in you hearing from me and knowing from me how life's truly supposed to be, you can see what needs to be done in your marriages. You can see what needs to be done in the relationships at home. You know, this God coming to the lowly, it's the message of Scripture. In 1 Corinthians, he tells us that he takes the wisdom of man, he makes it foolishness, he uses the foolishness of the man to confound the wise. He's always coming to the low. Even look at the stories of the Old Testament. God is almost constantly choosing the one that everybody thought you wouldn't choose. Like, in, in that culture, first sons were the inheritors. First sons would be the ones who got dibs. But you go to uh, the first brother situation, Abel, the younger brother of Cain. He was the one who was blessed by God. You get Isaac and not his older brother Ishmael being blessed. You get Jacob and not his older brother Esau being blessed. You got Joseph and not his way older brother with other brothers in between, Reuben, being blessed. My favorite probably in the scriptures is this kid named David. He was just hanging out watching some sheep when the prophet Samuel comes to anoint the next king of Israel. The first one wasn't working out. And Samuel goes through every son of Jesse that's there. Starts with Eliab, the oldest, and just works his way down. He's like, there's got to be someone else. God's not saying it's any of these guys. And Jesse says, well, yeah, their kid brother, we make him watch the sheep. And he says, well, go get him. And here comes David, the least likely of the clan of Jesse to be anointed king of Israel. And God says to Samuel, perfect. Don't look at the outside. Remember that? He said, God doesn't look on the outside. He looks at the heart. He said, this, this is my guy. And then David, remember, it's <laughs> my favorite story. We're in the middle of it with my life group, so join me as I go to my life group. But uh, David has to fight Goliath. Anybody heard that story? Remember the story? He comes to Saul and he says, Who's this Philistine? Who's this, you know, who's this guy who's defying the God of Israel? This ought not to be. Someone's got to do something about this clown. He says, I'm your man. And Saul's like, finally. And the whole armies of Israel, there's at least one that's not chicken. Saul should have been out there fighting him himself, but that's another story. Anyway, um, so Saul says, hey, bro, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dress you like a king. You're going to get all the army. I got all the good stuff. I went down to Dick's Sporting Goods, and it's just all the good stuff. It's everything you could ever want for this fight. And so David puts it on, but it doesn't fit. It's limiting his, his mobility. And, and so David, remember what David says? He says, you know what? Keep your king's stuff. Keep your king's stuff. I don't need your sword, your spear, your shield. I don't need any of this stuff. Uh, I have the only weapon necessary, my faith in my God. Remember what he says? He says to the giant, he says, hey, me and God, you're toast. All I need is him. I got this strap of leather and this big old rock, and I'm just going to, and it's going to hit you right here, and it's going to go inside your skull and make a you know, mincemeat of your frontal lobe. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> and then I'm going to, for all the young boys in the room, I'm going to cut your head off. Anyway, I used to read that when sermons would get slow in church. But anyway, um, God uses the lowly, and he says, this is perfect. This is who I want. And, and we, what does the Bible tell us? We are at our strongest when we are the weakest. It's when we are weak that he is strong. He just wants us to stay down. 
In fact, that's, that's what the promise says as we close. I'm not going to get to the second one. People who get low and stay low, they receive the kingdom. They receive the kingdom. Look what it says here in, in Matthew 5, verse 3. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the what? The kingdom. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, like I said, there's, there's, there's basically two ways to look at this verse and its promises. It says, listen, if you're, if you're going to get reconciled to God in the first place, if you're going to be uh, forgiven of your sins, you have to recognize that you are spiritually poor. You've got nothing to bring to this, uh, uh, this party. And, and God has to do all of the work through Christ on the cross to forgive you of your sins. And then once you put your faith in Jesus, like Celeste did last night, once you put your faith in Jesus, then the kingdom of heaven is yours eternally. You are forever God's. Can someone say amen? That's some good news right there, right? That's the gospel. But don't think it just stays there or has that one limited application. In life, as you and I come to God and surrender over and over again in the circumstances that we face, and we admit to him, I got nothing. I can't do this on my own. I need your help. We submit ourselves to him, we surrender ourselves to him, then he comes and he does what only God can do and then he gives us, as the promise is made here, the kingdom of heaven. And someone's like, well, wait a minute, the kingdom of heaven is future. No. Remember what Jesus said when he taught his disciples to pray? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What's the next part? Thy kingdom come. Oh, so we're talking about the kingdom all of a sudden. Well, what's that mean? Well, he defines it in the next line. What's the next line? Thy will be done. Wait a minute, the kingdom is tied to the will of God? Oh, yeah. And where's it supposed to happen? On earth, as it is in heaven now and will be one day for us in eternity. But that existence, that bliss, that peace that comes when we're done with this life can be ours today in our circumstances. God wants the kingdom to come to our lives. And the only way that that door is unlocked, the only way that kingdom peace is ours in our families is if we admit, I got nothing. God, you're going to have to do this. So now, if you're in a marriage that ain't working, I'm sorry, but I'm not surprised. Sin makes a mess of every family. If you're a parent who doesn't know what to do with your kids, I'm sorry, but I'm not surprised. Because sin makes a mess of every parent-kid relationship, eventually. Some of you are like, hasn't it, mine? Wait. I'm not a downer. I've just been doing this for 25 years. It, it hits families that you expect least. Let's put it that way. And so, you can kind of be like the Laodiceans and just ride this good period out and just assume it's always going to be this way. Or, today, you can with me remember, I got nothing. And regardless of my circumstances, if things are going great with my family or if things are worse than they've ever been, the key to me experiencing the kingdom here on earth, experiencing what God wants for me here on earth, is for me to surrender my entire life to him, to trust him fully. If you haven't done that for the first time, that's the first first. But I know a lot of you are sitting here and you know Jesus full well. But like the Laodiceans, you can just kind of forget him. And you'll hear this from me over and over as I close. This series, I'm gonna hammer this thing home. You being the best husband or wife, the best mom or dad, the best kid to your parents, the best brother or sister, you being everything that God hopes for you to be in your family is going to be entirely hinged on your ability to understand 
that I worship God, I honor God, I come to God for what I lack. I, it's me and him first, it's me and him first, and then I go to them. I love my wife as an act of worship to my God, and then he gives me what I need so that I can love her even though she's not lovely. I can love her even though she's not lovable. And I can love her or wives, you can love him, even though they're not loving you back. And we never get to this, going to God, unless that we met. I can't do this on my own. May God give us the grace to do that. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thanks for your word and a chance to open it today. And I just want to ask God that you would teach us over and over again in life that we are wretched without you, pitiable, blind. Keep us, God, low so that your kingdom can come in our lives. Lord, I want to pray for the families represented in this room. I'm looking out at faces as I'm preaching. I know many of them personally. I'm grateful for them being a part of this church. Uh, we're blessed, God. There's lots of families that are in peace right now. And, and there's just seemingly maybe nothing to really apply what we're talking about to what's going on in their marriages or in their homes. But Lord, um, we know that sin can make a mess of every family. And there's lots in here that understand that all too well. Would you lead us, God, to dependence on you for what we lack in our homes? Help us to love like you do. Help us to um, follow you in your ways, to take your yoke upon us so that we can do life to your glory, for your glory, and as well as we can in our homes. I pray that in Jesus' name. Everybody said? God bless you guys. Have a great day.